0: Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Revan Kusla coming to you from downtown Los Angeles, from the International Buddhist Meditation Center in the heart of Koreatown. Well, it's a warm and sunny morning in November, and the podcast you're about to hear is an interview I did last month with Achan Siddhanto. We were both at the Monks in the West 2 gathering in Collegeville, Minnesota, and I asked him if I could interview him about his uh, life and practice as a a Buddhist monk in the Achan Cha forest tradition of Thailand, and he consented. So what you're about to hear is that interview. Hope you find it interesting. Hope you find it useful. So without further introduction, my interview with Achan Siddhanto from a Bayagiri Buddhist Monastery in Northern California. I'm sitting here with Achan Siddhanto, and um, I'm, at the, I'm at the Second Monks in the West Conference in Minnesota, uh, specifically Collegeville, Minnesota, and we are in St. John's Abbey right now. And um, uh, Achan Sudanto has agreed to to do a short interview with me. And so uh, th- the first question I have for you, Achan Sudanto, is have you always been a Buddhist or did you convert?
1: Well, it's funny sitting here in a Catholic monastery, <laughs> uh, being a Buddhist monk because um, sort of my um, family was Catholics and I grew up Catholic and went to Catholic school. Um, but like many people in my teenage years, kind of um, that sort of lost some of its meaning. Um, and uh, I enjoyed, as a youth, being uh, Catholic, and I was fairly active in the church and was an altar boy, and all those good things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was a positive experience for me. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I couldn't make it relevant as I got a little bit older. Some of the questions um, that naturally come up in life um, uh, were hard for me to answer, and the the people right, immediately around me um, couldn't uh, answer those in a satisfactory way. And so religion started and
0: became a bit irrelevant for quite a period of my life. And, and what was it about Buddhism that sort of made sense to you? Was it immediate? You, you, you heard some of the Buddha teachings of the Buddha and you said, yeah, that's the kind of truth I've been looking for? Or was it a gradual? It was really gradual. I mean... Um,
1: I, I really didn't become re-interested in, in um, Buddhism or religion <laughs> in, until I was in college. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in college, um, you know, I sort of read quite widely all kinds of things. Um, and uh, literature um, and books that that had some sort of quest for meaning and truth um, were something that sort of stood out and appealed to me Um and also, I studied uh, I studied uh, world religion somewhat. Um, I was an art major, hmm. so I took a lot of art history. And one of the classes I took was uh, Indian art history. And uh, through that, I you study the religions that were prevalent in India, okay? Um, namely, um, the Vedic traditions, or Hinduism, Buddhism,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and Islam,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, <coughs> In the context of an art history course, you don't go into those in depth, Mm -hmm. Um, but I had a great interest in Eastern religions, and that gave me a bit more of a push to kind of start reading and understanding more, um, in particular sort of Hindu teachings and Buddhist teachings. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I did a lot more kind of reading, and and I was very interested in, in in particular, the, the theology of that. Uh, and those religions of the east um, as well as the the promise that they held um, in terms of an individual who's seeking kind of deeper meaning and truth in life mm-hmm. um, has an access to a set of practices in particular meditation and yoga um, that can help further that sort of search for meaning and truth um, and it's in that context that I um, you know sort of just gradually started to read and study and Mm-hmm. And, and become a bit more exposed to those things. And then after, I, uh, I did a little bit of a training in yoga at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in my yoga class, we learned a little bit about breath meditation. And fortunately, I had a good experience with it. Oh, good. <laughs> I wasn't a good yogi, and I wasn't a good meditator. Yeah. Um, but I, I was able to sort of recognize, um, sort of after one of my classes one day, um, that I felt energized and centered and kind of balanced in a way that I'd never felt before.
2: Hmm.
1: And in that kind of context, I, I sort of uh, got a sense of inspiration and faith that um, you know, there, there really was something to the, those practices of yoga and meditation. And I made a determination, of, okay,
0: I'm going to find out more about this. Hmm. And This is something I need to really explore. Now you're ordained in the Achan Cha forest tradition of Thailand. Hmm. And with all the different kinds of Buddhism out there, uh, it's almost if you're a Christian, there's so many different kinds of Christianity. If you're a Buddhist, there's so many different kinds of Buddhism. What what drew you to investigate and eventually become ordained in the Thai Forest tradition? Well, that's a good question.
1: Um, you know, especially in America here, it's it's as if you know all these kind of spiritual traditions now are available and open to us and. Mm-hmm. It's almost like uh, walking down a supermarket aisle and trying to pick out the right cereal for <laughs> your breakfast. Exactly,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and that's that's kind of a daunting um, position to be in. Um, but my own story, it was one where it was just really natural progression, hmm. um, you know, from being interested in, in Buddhism and Hinduism. Uh, after I finished college, I went to India for a period of travel and, and uh, looking for places where I could sort of, um, train in those in those traditions somewhat. Um, and, and just as I was traveling there, my focus became more on Buddhism. I met some Buddhist monks, learned about opportunities to train as a Buddhist monk, as a Westerner, which is something I hadn't any idea that was something I could do. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
1: and then um, after uh, about a year of traveling around, I, I went to Thailand to, um, specifically to sort of take up um, a more deeper practice. Not yet to be a monk, although mm-hmm. I knew that was something that I was interested in and a possibility. Was but just be- to get really foc- just to get some real deep training
0: in that. Okay. Um, but was Thailand close to India? Is that why you went to Thailand? Is it a Burma, Sri Lanka, Cambodia? What was it about Thailand? Did you have a ticket for Thailand? Or well, you just wanted to go to Thailand?
1: Uh, two things. This, okay. this monk that I had met... Um, who was a Dutch man who had ordained as a monk in Sri Lanka and trained there for many years? Mm. Um, when I when I met him traveling in India and talked to him about opportunities for Westerners to train and become a monk, he sort of said, "Well, you could ord- if you were interested. You, this is something you could do. You could you could ordain here in India. You could go to Sri Lanka. You could go to Burma. But probably the best place to go would be Thailand."
2: Mm. Okay. And
1: uh, and he said. There's a you know an international sort of monastery there, which ah. is quite good, and the conditions in the country are quite good.
0: And when you say international monastery, does that mean there were Westerners there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: So as well as people from um, other parts of Asia. Other too. parts of Asia and mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, during the time I was there, even from say Russia and wow. South America, or Central America. Um,
2: okay.
1: Yeah. So. There's this, and then also, um, as part of my travels, I s- spent some time in Hong Kong, and a friend of mine had a book of Ajahn Buddhadasa, who was a quite well-known Thai teacher. Mm. And he had a monastery, and they ran an international meditation center where they did retreats every month. And uh, you know, up to that point, I hadn't really found a particular teacher or community or place where I felt like um, this is where I want to go. This is it for me. And reading um, one of his books... Um, I got a real sense of, this is somebody I can trust, and this is a good place to get started, and um, by golly, i got to get down to this. Yeah. Because um, at that point, I'd been sort of wandering around um, and not really applying myself um, full, you know, um,
0: in a really focused and determined way. And in this international so center, like was it the Forest Center? Was it in the forest?
1: Um, that yes. was that. They had a forest setting there. That was okay. Wat Suan Mok in the south of Thailand. Okay. That's fairly well known to a lot of um, Westerners who've who've practiced meditation.
0: And and what what attracts you to the forest tradition? Because me living in downtown Los Angeles, I I have the forest of the urban environment, but but you know there's like spiders and snakes and leopards and tigers and all sorts of stuff, along with rain. And, you know, it just sounds like a really difficult uh, kind of Buddhism to do, and yet you're ordained in that tradition. What was it that sort of drew you out to the forest? Well,
1: I, I gained inspiration um, and faith in um, Thai monks mm. who trained and lived in that way. Okay. And so to get training, I, I went into that sort of situation Um, it wasn't something that was a kind of... there was a lot of forethought Mm to. It was just like, well, these teachers seem to know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. I trust them. I'm going to go study with them. And then in that context, uh, I got to know um, of this sort of forest-dwelling tradition of monks, um, which is something that has existed since the time of the Buddha. Mm. And when you look at the suttas, um, the Buddha was born in the forest. He practiced in the forest. Um, He realized... Um, the ultimate truth in the forest, and eventually he even died in the forest. Yeah,
0: that's right. Uh, that's and so he,
1: you know, his whole his whole life was one that was set in a forest setting, mm-hmm. um, and he praised that as a as a really con- conducive setting for meditation practice, partially because of its tranquility, but also because of the simplicity of life in the forest. Mm. Um, and uh, when I say forest here or forest monastery. Um, It's good to define that because in the West we have all kinds of notions of what a forest is. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest where the forest sort of runs for (laughs) hundreds of miles in different directions um, and is very rugged and mountainous. But in Asia, um, a forest monastery um, can be as simple as a small couple acre patch of forest Mm -hmm. that's 20 minutes or half hour walk from a few Villages, okay. You know, um, especially rice farming villages, and so you're not completely sort of out in the wilderness, mm-hmm. um, but you have a, uh, a setting that is natural, that's quiet, and somewhat removed from the hustle and bustle of village life or city sure. life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, th- I really came to find that that, that presented a, a wonderful sort of balance mm-hmm. between the extremes. That spiritual seekers can often look for, which is um, a completely hermetic life, (laughs) or a completely sort of engaged life. Yeah, you know, sort of right in the middle of the city with all that that entails. Yeah.
0: Did you become ordained in the forest? Did you take your ordination in Thailand?
1: I did. Yeah. Yeah. In a very short time, I found my way to uh, the International Forest Monastery, which Mm -hmm. was the monastery set up by Western disciples of Ajahn Chah. Um, a very well-known forest master in Thailand. And I uh, received ordination after about a year and a half of training, the higher ordination, mm. at one of the branch monasteries of Rajin Chahs. Um, and uh, trained there for uh, five, six years before uh, I ended up coming to America to spend time here.
0: And I introduced you as Achang Sudanto. Is everybody who's ordained called an Achang?
1: Well, um, Ajahn is a Thai word uh-huh. that means teacher, okay. and um, the monks traditionally were um, seen as teachers in the society, mm-hmm. uh, and they um, until modern times they they were um, pretty much the only teachers. They taught secular as well as religious subjects. Mm. Okay. Somebody who wanted to seek knowledge would go to the monastery um, to get some instruction or some classes. Um, um, these days, the the term is is broader than that. So even a school teacher, um, in a secondary or elementary school or a university, mm-hmm. we'd be called a teacher.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, or say um, somebody who's a yoga instructor or mm-hmm. uh, you
0: know teaches something else. So it just means teacher. And does it take a certain amount of time to become an Ajahn? Are you immediately as a novice monk? You called that? Sometimes. Okay. Um,
1: actually, okay. it's in in Thailand. Because monks have traditionally been the teachers, Mm, it can be used in a really colloquial way to to refer to um, a monk. Mm -hmm. Um, But somewhat it's reserved for monks who have made a deeper commitment to monastic training and especially more um, senior monks who are uh, often in the position and have the responsibilities of teaching people. Uh, Amongst the Western monks, they kind of reserve it um,
0: um, for monks and nuns who have done at least 10 years of training. So you've had 10 years at least of training then, and that's why you're called, known as Ajahn Suddhantum. Yeah, I received my okay. higher
1: ordination 12 years ago. So okay. a couple years ago, people started calling me Ajahn Suddhantum. Wonderful,
0: good. Now to fast forward, you you were in uh, Thailand, you studied, you practiced, you uh, took ordination, and now you're living in Northern California at Abayagiri. And... Um, I've been there, and really, it was just fascinating to see where and how you live, uh, much different from uh, where and how I live. Um, how did you, in your tradition, you you, you you can't cook. You need a large support base. You need lay people to support you, the sangha, the uh, the uh, monastery. Did they invite you, the, the you know the abhayagiri monks to come? Did they say, we'll give you land and we'll support you? Or did you go there and say, I'd like to start a place? How did that all turn
1: out? Well, I kind of joined a Bayagiri Monastery sort of uh, in progress. Okay. So it had been founded in 1996 after about 10 years of of work with um, lay people connected to our tradition, making Mm -hmm. an invitation of uh, the Western monks to establish a monastery here as they've done in many other places in the world, um, Australia and New Zealand, several in England, several in Europe. Um, now there's some in Canada. Um, so they, they wanted one here in America. Um, they didn't want to have to go to Thailand or England <laughs> or Australia every time they wanted to visit a monastery and get some teachings from monks. And uh, so they developed a foundation. And, and the monastery was already uh, up and running for a couple of years by the time mm-hmm. I came here.
0: Um, and was it your choice to go there, or did somebody invite you to go there?
1: It was really um both i mean we we have quite a lot of freedom to move between communities okay um, but uh, how i I came to Bagiri was uh you know I'd been in Asia for quite a few years training, and um sort of talking to my teacher um, he he suggested that I might like to come to America and, and spend some time with Ajahn Pasana so I could be a bit closer to my family, and uh, and visit my family. Uh, Ajahn Pasanno is the co-abbot mm-hmm. of, of Ayagiri, um and he 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 was also the abbot of the monastery when I first joined the monastery in oh, Thailand. I so I had a previous connection with him, okay. and uh, and it was very uh, both easy and, and uh, interesting, mm-hmm. you know, to um, to come over to come back to America yeah. and, and to live and train um, under him in this emerging new monastery yeah. that they were building in Northern California.
0: And you've, we were talking earlier in the week that uh, the last year or two has really been devoted to to building and making it uh, larger and more accessible and uh, more cabins have been built for, for uh, uh, future monks or current monks visiting. What... What have you learned being a monk in Northern California? You know, you're an American. uh, You went to Thailand, became ordained, but you came back to America. And gosh knows they have plenty of monks in Thailand. And (laughs) it's nice to have more monks in America. But what have you seen now after your initial ordination? And now you look back and and you, you know, 12 years and you say... uh, what have I learned? Is it is it profound? Is it simple? Is it deep? Is it th- what are some of the things you've uh, you've you've come to recognize as being truth?
1: Well, um, that's kind of a broad question. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but you can uh, pick any one of those parts. I can pick any one, you, one of those parts. Any one of those parts. Um, if, uh, one of the, I mean, one of the first things you were talking about was maybe what what did I learn here in America, as opposed to maybe um, studying and training in Thailand. Okay. Or, you know, yeah. what some of the differences are.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, I, I really sort of, after training for several years, um, don't look so much to the particular environment mm. um, as being so important, because um, the practice of, of um, Buddhist monasticism, and uh, on the deeper level, the practice of the Buddhist teachings, um or something that you just make do with wherever you are, the conditions that are there, and do the best you can to apply yourself to putting those practices uh, uh, into use mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for uh, spiritual maturation and growth.
2: Okay.
1: Um, so I don't really differentiate so much between Thailand and America okay, um, and the conditions that they provide, but they are very different situations. As
0: far as culture is concerned. And as far as, right as
1: culture, um, Thailand's been in... Uh, Buddhism's been in Thailand for a long time. Yeah. But here in America, it's very new. Yeah. So there's a kind of different energy around being a Buddhist monk in in, in America. One um, in Thailand, being a being a Buddhist is um, to be in the majority. Um, mm. Sort of well over ninety percent of all Thais consider themselves Buddhist.
2: Okay.
1: And uh, I'm just in when living in Thailand, I'm just one of uh, 150,000 monks. Sure, sure. Here in America, I'm one of a very small yeah. kind of uh, group, grouping of, you know, one of the most extreme religious minorities. Yeah. yeah. You could say. Yeah. But it's one that um, over yeah. the last several decades has, has uh, attracted some attention and, and prominence. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have even people that are building monasteries and and training to be monastics here in the west has
0: has your practice changed over 12 years or are you still doing the same practice you did 12 years ago
1: um you know it has mm-hmm. and, and it hasn't um okay. the way it um hasn't changed is uh a large part of um the practice that we we do at abayagiri is is very similar to what we do in thailand we have a a regular schedule. We get up early in the morning, we meditate. There's some time to sort of do chores and building work in the monastery, maintenance work. We eat communally. We have um, several hours a day where we're practicing by ourselves in our hut in the forest. Mm-hmm. We meet again in the evening and uh, you know have some discussion about the Buddhist teachings, uh, a reading from a book while well, we have a cup of tea. And then we have another evening meditation and chanting session. We go back and practice and sleep in the forest in our huts. And we do that in Thailand. We do that in America. We do that in England. We do that wherever we are. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: In the forest, in the city.
2: Yeah.
1: um, This is how we live. Um, So that part hasn't really changed much. And all the teachings of the Buddha um, are practiced wherever we go. Okay. Um, The part that's probably changed is is something that's more superficial it has to do more with in Thailand there's a wealth of monasteries and monastic communities and Mm in um, in America or in the West um, there's very few
2: yeah
1: and so um, you know one thing that's quite different is there's a lot more energy put into um, teaching writing and publishing books websites um, um, connecting with um, the other sort of Faiths and religions
0: mm, that yeah.
1: exist um, here. So, sort rest. of a real
0: strong emphasis on education. People coming wanting to find out about the Dharma. So, you make books available. You have retreats. People can come and, and, and hear Buddhist monks talk about the Dharma. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In Thailand, they come to the monastery.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sure.
1: Um, and also, there's 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 uh, so many monasteries and so many monks that that sort of um, people that have a real strong interest that that kind of work is shared out.
0: Yeah, and, and it's been there for such a long time. Yeah. There's so many monk, more monks over there that the Buddhism to a lot of Americans, a lot of Westerners, brand new religion for them. Yeah. Never even thought about it. So I, I bet you get a lot of people who just don't even know the basics. And, you know, what are the Four Noble Truths? What's the Eightfold Path?
1: Yeah.
0: And you start right at the beginning with them, huh? We start
1: right at the beginning, or we start where they are. <laughs> yeah, we start
0: where they are, exactly. So, yeah,
1: um, yeah some people have been, you know, um, practicing meditation maybe for a long time and have some exposure to Buddhist concepts, but maybe not um, kind of real foundational sort of Buddhist teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, they they might have been doing all kinds of meditation retreats and meditating for a long time and have never really examined the Four Noble Truths in any depth or detail or mm-hmm. or maybe haven't found a way to connect those with what the meditation does for them. Exactly. And so that, that is a big part of the, the teaching that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then also uh, one of the other big differences is 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 you know developing monasteries and monastic communities in in the west uh, it takes a lot of
0: our energy. Yeah. Yeah. Planting the seed, huh? Yeah. That's good. Now you have um, you have a website called uh abayagiri.org is that the www.abayagiri.org? That's it. That's it. And on the website you have um, Dharma Talks, available for free download, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and do you have uh, books in PDF as well? Yeah, we have um, e-books. Okay, and, you have e-books? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of the books that
1: we've we've published over the years, mm-hmm. um, we've sort of put into electronic form. Okay. So um, a lot of them are available in HTML, so you can just read them on the web uh-huh. site. Um, and then we've also um, put many of them into um, PDF form, so people can download them and print them out or read them. Mm
0: -hmm. And then the uh, audio files, MP3? Yeah, so a lot of the
1: teachings and talks that are given at the monastery we put up on our website too so people can um, listen to those uh, or download them and save them.
0: And for people listening to this podcast who may be close to California or thinking about coming to California, how often do you uh, open your... Center monastery for public retreats. Do you have them on a regular basis? Public teachings where people can come and listen in person.
1: Well, we have um, the monastery is is not really uh, a kind of closed resource. It's a public and an open resource okay. in, in in Buddhism, and so we always are open to the public, okay. um, year round, and we and we have different ways that we share the monastery with people. Um, you know, we have public talks twice a week, once on the lunar quarter, which follows the kind of quarter phases of the moon,
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, and then also on Saturday nights.
2: Okay. Um,
1: but also the monastery is open all the time, so we have neighbors and people that live in the area who come uh, either on a daily basis or an occasional basis to join in our meditation. Okay. Um, one of the uh, other common ways people participate in in the monastery um, is they'll come for a residential sort of stay. We don't have retreats at the monastery, Mm -hmm. public retreats, um, but there is an opportunity for people to come and stay in the monastery for a night, a week, a month, or even longer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people contact us from all over the country.
0: So Um, the best way to find out about that would be to contact... Your uh, monastery through the website to see what the availability is, that type of thing? Yeah, um,
1: Yeah. we don't have lots of space for visitors. That's what I was saying. So we can't take drop ins. Yeah. But if people are interested in visiting, then um, we usually advise them to. Look at the website first and and read about what visiting the monastery entails.
2: so there
0: are pages up there they can read there's to pages. give them good facts about how to uh, appropriate behavior yeah. where to park the car that kind of stuff
1: yeah okay. and what to expect what to bring what not to bring okay good good and then um, and then there's an email address uh, of the guest monk
2: so okay. one of
1: the monks in the in the monastery has the job and the responsibility of coordinating um, all the guests Wonderful. coming and, and going and setting up accommodations for them and answering all the questions that they have about coming and going and what's on offer at the monastery. So we always encourage people, go to the website, read the information that's available there, and then if you still want (laughs) to (laughs) come, use that email address. Okay,
0: I like that. Now, I've been looking at my watch, and I know uh, there's something planned in just like seven minutes. So I don't want to keep you from that. But I, I want to thank you for taking the time at this conference to sit down with me and just do this really quick uh, discussion, chat on, on your life as a monk. And, and hopefully people listening to this found it interesting and useful. And if they're curious about Abayagiri and the Forest Thai tradition, uh, www.abhayagiri.org. Could you spell Abayagiri for me? So,
1: A B H. A-Y-A-G-I-R-I dot O-R-T. Okay, thank so. you very much.
0: And, and I want to thank you uh, in, a, in a special way, too, uh, Achan Sadato, because I remember clearly uh, a couple of years ago we were at a monastic conference and you came up to me and you said, "Kusla, have you ever heard of podcasts? And I said, well, sort of. And you said to me, well, have you ever thought about doing one? Because I think, you know, maybe the way you talk about Buddhism or or that kind of stuff would be interesting to people. And I thought about that and figured out how to do it. So it's it's really all because of you that Urban Dharma, the podcast, uh, find its way into reality. So I want to thank you on on a personal basis for giving me that suggestion and encouraging me.
1: Well, you're most welcome, and I'm glad you've taken it up because yep. I do think people really appreciate your
0: take on Dhamma. Oh, ah, thank you. It's good. And, and again, thank you again, and I guess until we see each other later on this afternoon, have a good afternoon. Thanks. You too. Well, that's it. That was my interview with Achan Siddhanto, a monk at a Bayagiri Buddhist monastery in Northern California. Hope you found it interesting. Hope you found it useful. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my website, kusala.info, K-U-S-A-L-A.info. If you'd like to hear more interviews in Dharma Talks, uh, please visit dharmatalks.info. That's dharmatalks.info. A lot of free ebooks for download at buddhabooks.info. That's buddhabooks.info. So, until the next time, until the next podcast, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering.